We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm up your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hey, CMOS girlies. It's a Sunday night. You know, it's Kate and Emma right where you want us both slouching in bed. The lights aren't off. Neither of our air conditioning is on and I feel so comfortable and safe. How are you doing, Emma? I'm doing great. Yes, Kate and I had quite the day. We had a little event over in Domino Park in Brooklyn. I swear it is now mandatory that Kate and I are forced to go into Brooklyn against our will for whatever little activation event dinner thing and look and we're not we're not for being people, like super- for people look and listen i'm very grateful for these experiences that i get to meet cmos girlies irl however i don't like going into brooklyn that much it is Here's the thing people are okay stranded. people are gonna neg us saying oh my god you guys are like you only live in manhattan and you only hang out below 14th street i'm not saying all of brooklyn it's like two square blocks in williamsburg i feel like we always like venture in and it just becomes like reoccurring memories in that area in that zone there are other parts of Brooklyn that I enjoy venturing to like Emma and I went on the ferry last week and that was an enjoyable experience it's just like a certain hell of Williamsburg that really traumatizes us both I don't know why for me actually I know why it involves a dating experience but that's besides the point yeah I guess dating for people who don't live in New York um you may not be able to relate to this but I feel like everyone who has dated in New York has had an experience with dating a Bushwick boy and wow, trauma. Like once you do that, mm, yeah, you're good. You, you do not need to be in Brooklyn ever again. But yes, yeah, so we were in Brooklyn with Supergoop for a little picnic. It was quite fun. We met some more CMOS girlies, which again, always fulfills me a lot because oftentimes I forget that what Kate and I are doing are important and yeah. is valid. I know I had a nice reflection after we parted ways. Point one of um, my list of shit-talking subjects as we enter these episodes is um, walking the Williamsburg Bridge. 
I posted a TikTok last night and I didn't realize that like seven out of the 35 videos were involving different nights of me on the Williamsburg Bridge in June and July. And I'm like, Kate, let's do a wellness check. How are we doing walking the bridge that many times? But that just kind of attributes the fact that, well, one of them, I was like filming stuff with Hoka on the bridge, but I've walked back and forth many times to Beach House, to Lana Del Rey, to some, some music and such. But it's a nice, enjoyable walk. You forget you're up there. You forget you're in Manhattan. You can reflect on all your little silly problems. But it is hot, so I would say proceed with caution. Um, that would be my only advice. Yeah, the Willingsburg Bridge is a good one. I walk the bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, to work quite a bit, and it's very peaceful. And so if you are someone who maybe is looking to visit New York, I feel like the bridges and also the ferry, too. Cheap ways to get a really good view of the city. Um, also you the ferry busted. You do not need to do the Brooklyn Bridge. Like the other no. bridges are gorgeous. I've never even been on the Brooklyn Bridge. And honestly, I have no desire to because I think it would be my worst nightmare. Yeah, it's a lot of tourists and shit. But the ferries, they fucking fly. You go fast. I'm an hours. You were nervous. I was, I was, I was hanging, I was chilling. You know, I think me knowing that like if this boat like tumbles down, I'm fine. Like I can swim and survive. <laughs> not to not get saying morbid. that you wouldn't oh. survive, but like I was like, ooh, I feel like I'm on a jet ski. Oh, I thought you were gonna say like if this is if this boat just crashes, I guess this is my time to go. Like that's I'm Oh no, 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 no. I I would survive. I yeah, would survive okay. any any sort of Titanic situation, I would be the one that would yeah, okay, survive I get and that I would now. save everyone else. But I know I would a lot be, of people I would be the hero. I know a I lot know of people have the intrusive thought when they're on an airplane, like, eh, if this crashes, I guess I'm good, like, whatever. But I never have that, but I've seen it's a common thing. So yeah, the ferries have been fun. The new e-bikes are fun. The bridges are fun. Y- using your damn feet is also fun, just walking around. Um, however, I have feet issues, which I need to get resolved because I have to host a run next week, which should be interesting or weekend on Sunday. Emma will be there as well, so you can meet us both if you come. Yeah, um, hopefully I'm able to run by then. You know, we'll see. Kate and I, we have another podcast coming out where we talk more in length about our odd injuries that we're experiencing, but uh, yeah, not, we don't have thriving limbs at the moment. Limbs are not thriving. The limbs are taking the L. Um, my next point is the little miss memes. We got to talk about this. As people who have a meme page, I need to fucking set the record straight. There is a meme cycle. As people that are professional meme makers, semi-professional, I always say, there is a cycle, a life and a death cycle of a meme format, okay? Some of them are long-lasting and just make it. You can see them and you never get tired of them. I'm thinking of the, you know, the Facebook-style ones that are the text font. Like, you, you don't get tired of them. There's certain ones that come and go. Maybe they come back. The little miss ones, if you're reposting that on your story, you got to know when it's in the life cycle and when it's fucking died. That meme died two days after people started posting it. We posted one. I posted it as a joke because I started to see it on Twitter before it got over to the Instagram freakazoids of sharing it everything onto your fucking story. And I was like, oh, this is like kind of funny. Like a little miss, like, what did I even say? Like constipated or bloated or no, like stomach ache. You said stomach ache. Oh, little miss stomach ache. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is easy. It's a low hanging fruit. This is like Sea Monster Girl's Bible. Like Corinthians 314. Is that a Bible thing? Whatever. Sea Monster Girl's, you know, the Bible more than me. I was going to try. Never. Anyways, but the meme, I made that meme and I was like, okay, cool. We're a meme page. We have the certified right to make memes. I'm starting to see influencers that I follow, like post like a a fucking photo dump of 10 things that they just like relate to. 
what y'all are not meme accounts you are a fucking person you're not like an entity like us what the hell then like every bitch and their mother has a new one on their story every single day like i get it you find one that really relates to you like people i'm sure they do with cmos girlies memes like you send it in a dm to a friend and you tag a friend in the comments you maybe post one on your story i don't need to see 10 of them on the story i started to see ones that were like little miss angry what what Wait, like, you are- you know you know it's bad when brands that don't even make memes or just i mean brands in general should not be no. making memes but when they make memes like they were all doing them for the american girl doll thing too which is like pretty similar yes. i think in style and that's when you know it's gotta end that's when it's dead as soon as the fucking brand so that's what i was gonna get at the next point is like as soon as i saw i'm not even gonna name rough brands because everyone did it i just started to get angry i'm like i'm a meme account you guys are fucking capitalism stop this meme age of me like i just hate when the brands do that and the american girl doll one too um when people started making them you guys are not memes just be mad that you're not a fucking meme page and you guys have to go sell some bullshit direct consumer product right um yeah you know it's it's down bad when like sparkling water brands are being like listen little miscarbonated water <laughs> like fucking they're also not even funny oh um, yeah I just I, think it's every so single weird. time I see someone post one on their story I immediately click out because I'm like not today I don't need to see any more of this uh but the, the moral of the story here girls is like yes it was funny for about two days post and giggle and laugh like we all did for a little bit and then once you start seeing it everywhere you gotta tap out once you start seeing the brands do it like it's fucking cringe and embarrassing I had to mute about six people on Instagram because they just kept sharing it onto their stories just because I could not tolerate it but people were also DMing us like can you guys make one no like this is democracy to a degree but like fuck no I'm done with that meme format so that's my official little miss meme statement of that needs to go to jail and I hope it's done by the time this episode's out if I see one more I'm gonna fucking KMS um yes thank you for your little rant on a more positive note I have some life updates, not life updates, but I have some updates, some tips and tricks for y'all. Um, for people who don't know, I was home a few weeks ago at the beginning of July for a wedding. For the girlies that don't know, my dad is an OG CMOS girly, OG wellness god. He is ahead of the time when it comes to everything. And whenever I go home, I'm always like, hmm, I wonder what my dad is up to these days when it comes to his health. And so he has a new snack hack. I have not tried it. But honestly, I feel like it'd be pretty good. And my mom approves of it. And my mom is very much like, John, what the fuck are you doing with this fucking like blueberry powder, you know, fucking, I don't even know, like spirulina lemonade bullshit, you know, like what are, what's up? Um, But okay. So what he does, he takes fresh berries and this is why I haven't tried the snack hack because I don't really buy fresh fruit, but I think you could do this with like bananas, apples or whatever. What he does, he puts them in a bowl. He then um, sprinkles chia seeds and ground flax and then also cacao powder and then mixes it together and like coats the berries. And he's like, you know, it's a good way for me to get my- Wait, pause. Is there any liquid? No, no liquid. So it's like a dry dust. He'll sometimes like add it to his yogurt, but no, it's a dry dust. So imagine you're just like coating, you know, your fresh berries in this. But he's like, you know what? It's a good way for me to get my daily dose of chia seeds and flax seeds and cacao powder. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. I got it. Chia seeds, flax seeds, good sources of fiber, you know, good sources of omega threes, cacao powder, you get the polyphenols. So I get it. It's kind of like a superfood snack hack. Um, I'm sure, you know, I hope someone listening to this podcast attempts this afterwards. I have not tried it. Cause again, I don't buy fresh berries. Um, but yeah, could be a good fun, quirky treat for you. I feel like I sometimes will sprinkle cinnamon on top of apples. So, you know, kind of the same similar effect. Yeah, um, I think you lost me for a bit where I was like a dry, like 
I guess it perhaps it would stick, but I've done the thing where I know you've also done the thing where you used to call cacao mush, where you like add hot water to like frozen berries. And I still powder. do that. Yeah, I still do that. Or like I'll do protein powder or something like that. So that makes sense to me because I think I can imagine the consistency. But if but it, it's like it's like a light, it's like a light sprinkle. It's not like dumping a fucking quarter <laughs> cup like we do. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll let. I'm, I'm not. Up. I'm not saying that. Like I'm not trying to defend my dad here, but I'm just saying like you know. Could be interesting one of the better inventions i would say yeah. i also for people who don't remember you probably don't i don't even remember the episode kate and i were talking about like mama chia seed i think when it was the snack oh yeah wait, no, i remember the episode i remember the exact moment okay okay do we want do we want to like explain the story and yes i will like the, uh, the update that we yeah, got I'll today from mama chia seed I'll explain the update because I burst out laughing on the street when this happened. I remember just like screaming into my phone as I do as an e-girl. Um, so in an episode, we were talking about snacks in the snack episode, talking about all the goofy snacks. It was the episode before the snack one when we were like, you guys should send us our snacks and like give us ideas. And Emma goes, oh no, we were talking about the internal shower drink. That's what it was. In the- yeah, something yes. like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That episode. And Emma was like, why are these bitches drinking their chia seeds? Why don't you just eat them? Like, remember that brand Mama Chia? I wonder if they're still in business. A few weeks later, a few weeks later, roll around. I'm checking the requests on the meme page. I see one from a verified account. And I go, who is this in our DMs? It is Mama Chia official. They have found us. And they said, hey, CMUS girlies, just want to let you know that we still exist. LOL. Um, We'd love to send you some chia seeds for all of your fun ventures. Let us know your shipping address. <laughs> I screenshot and I send to Emma and I said, damn. Chia seed whisperers, they found us. So Mama Chia, if you're listening, I don't know who at the company listens to CMOS girlies. I don't know how you found us. I don't know if someone sent you our podcast and was like, these dogs are ripping on you. No hate, only love. We're happy to hear your business, but Emma will tell the next part of the story. Yeah. So, you know, classically, I'm like, yeah, give me chia seeds. I use chia seeds and, you know, yeah, I don't want to buy them if I don't have to. So I received my package today. I got... One lovely, beautiful bag of chia seeds, which I'm excited to utilize once I finish my Trader Joe's ones. But on top of that, I got not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. I got, I got 30. I got 30 squeezable chia seed pouches where it's like liquid and it's like a fruit puree. It almost looks like those applesauce squeezy things that you would eat as a kid or some sort of um, like baby food. And these flavors are wild. There's like some green magic strawberry, strawberry banana's not crazy. Um, there's like a strawberry lemonade. There's some sort of blueberry raspberry type situation. And I like don't know what I'm going to do with these. I guess maybe put them on yogurt or on top like of pancakes. pancakes. I mean, I, I'm just going to treat it as chia seed jam, which I haven't made in forever. Yeah. Um, but when I opened the box, I was like, holy shit. Emma sent me a photo right before we were about to leave for the for the picnic. And I'm like, and it's interesting, whenever we get packages, we kind of get them at different times. Like sometimes yeah. I'll get them before you and then vice versa. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit, what am I gonna how am I gonna store all of these? Like these are honestly a good travel snack though. So I feel like they just might be like a starvation mode food when I'm at the airport and I want a KMS. Yeah. And I also don't know if they need to be refrigerated or not. I mean, the box when I got when I got delivered to my apartment was just like a it was so hot because it's so hot outside and it doesn't say anything about refrigerating them but I'm like I I put them in my fridge because I'm like I don't want room temperature chia puree yeah you Um, really don't want that but yeah we time will tell if you know you can overdose on chia seeds I guess there's like 1200 omega-3s on in the packages I'm reading the label right now um but yeah I'm in my quirky chia seed 
um, phase now. Yeah, I fucking love that. I mean, I'm excited to get mine. Uh, our omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio is going to go off the charts. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. So thank you, Mama Chia, for hitting us up. Um, we love y'all. Next one, we should have said this in the beginning, but merch is out. If you guys don't know, I'll put it in the pod description. You can get it for like a month. Um, yeah, it's fun. We've seen like a few photos out in the wild. I got the I Love My Gut Microbiome Baby Tea, which I'm excited to put out in the world. Um, and if people ask me where it's from, I can say, actually, it's my meme page. So you could get it from I me. ordered. I ordered the I Heart Ashwagandha regular t-shirt. I have no idea if it's going to be cute or not because I have no idea what the colorway really is. I'm like, yeah, this is same. some weird green color, but I was like, you know what? I need a nice flowy t-shirt to sleep in. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't need no baby tea. Um, but I'm I, kind of I, It's of fun seeing tea. what everyone purchases, and it looks like everyone's loving the the baby the teas. teas the and, teas are the moment. You know, I don't blame you. We probably should have done a magnesium one, but next only next so time. many things. next time yeah so the inevitable next time my last point is electrolytes uh we did like an episode about this and i feel like we've talked about it a lot just because it's hot in the summer uh, yada yada but the one brand ultima um i think they're like an og well on this brand their packaging is pretty ugly so ultima if you're listening to this sorry i think your packaging is ugly but i love your product they have a blue raspberry electrolyte powder and there's a little scooper in the little jar you get and it tastes so good. It tastes like blue raspberry Jolly Ranchers. And I vibe with it. When I was in Copenhagen, you know, you get really dehydrated, just like at the airport, perhaps, or maybe like yeah. in a different location. Mm-hmm. Um, like the water doesn't taste the same. I feel like I always am dehydrated when I'm traveling and that shit saved me. I would kind of drink it before bed, which I don't know if that was crazy or not. Like there's not caffeine in it. Um, anyways. And then my last point is like, life happens in the uncertainty. This was more of a higher order Kate, like, uh, you know, galaxy brain actually working but i think emma and i talked about this we didn't really talk about this on the bridge i don't know if we even passed the bechtel test when we were on the bridge which is if you are if you're two women are having a conversation a man is not involved in the conversation it was pretty much just a little boy chat while we were on the bridge but mm-hmm. we talk a lot about like controlling your life and like future and like how we both feel just very accomplished and very proud of ourselves for once which is like something we've never really had before and i think for me i'm always trying to control like a lot of factors in life. You know, I think a lot of the reasons, and I wrote, I was interviewed for about wellness and I spoke about this, which is why this point came up talking a lot about like, why are people so into personal health? And I think it is some sort of agency or like sense of control about your life. And in reality, we all can't control when we die. Um, a lot of people get like that are older, you know, get into health reasons because they don't want to die tomorrow. And so it's really interesting when you think about your own personal relationship with health, I'll let you guys do that own reflection with yourself. But I think life happens in the uncertainty. And I'm not saying that in a perspective of like don't care about your health and go crazy and don't have a bedtime but I mean all of the other stuff like relationships and like job and career and fulfillment and like when you're going to feel like you finally see changes in your life and shit like that or feel proud of yourself you don't really know when that's going to happen or maybe if you reflect on past relationships and shit and you're like damn I wish that would have worked out and then now you look back and you're like oh I'm so glad that one didn't work out because then this other thing would have happened to me um it's just something I'm trying to work with because I feel like I've been in such a flux the past few months with like purpose and like what the hell am I doing with my life and I've always just reminded myself that like I've gotten the most interesting things happen to me aka like CMOS girlies and other stuff in moments of uncertainty Mm -hmm. so maybe if you're like applying for jobs or if you're you know 
about to enter your senior year of college or high school or something like that, don't worry. You know, you, you're, you're putting down the path to get to the foundation of your life and it'll all be good one day. Amen to that. And that brings us, not really, to today's to the gut microbiome. We are doing another episode on gut health just because, again, gut health is a new trendy thing on the internet that all the girlies are learning about now. And Kate and I did a podcast on this years ago. Two years ago. Was like During pandemic times, I was at home. We recorded this. This was when we were recording without Zoom and we were speaking to each other on acre, not looking at each other. Overall, the podcasting was so bad because we had no idea. Everyone, the first few reviews were like, Kate and Emma seem to interrupt each other all the time. And I'm like, yeah, because we weren't looking at each other. Dude. I don't know how we did that. And that episode was really lengthy and very geeky. Very so go back geeky. and listen to that. So this is kind of like a part two, more condensed version. We don't also get a little bit weeds. more advanced. Yeah. Um, we don't really get into the weeds that much, but we talk about other things I think that relate to, you know, gut health that maybe aren't thought about or talked about as much. We're also going to chat a lot about like prebiotics as well, bloating, you know, it's just a whole smash up of various things, but we figured it was about time to do another gut health episode. We don't really do repeat episodes. I feel like a lot of health podcasts that you listen to, it's, you know, everyone just, I mean, Mark Hyman, it's like every week, it's going to be an episode on soil um diabetes apparently how you know eating only fruit can cure alzheimer's and mTOR yeah mTOR and then like intermittent fasting <laughs> i can't i feel like there's one week when i heard the word mTOR seven million times no, wait like, that was from the that was from the one with whatever stephanie uh the yeah, stephanie and, and that guy and yeah mTOR was talked about like 10 times I swear I can't have enough I can't I, yeah. I need more mTOR discourse in my life <laughs> but yeah also too I think if you guys follow the meme page and if you've been like a CMOS girlie for a bit like you definitely have implemented principles of gut health and like you know vaguely like the principles of gut health so we don't have to like tell you that like did you know what a fermented food is but if you still feel like you need that intro definitely go back to episode one um to hear our shitty podcasting days but the information is good so that's that. Um, we hope you enjoy, you know, second unveiling the more advanced gut health manual and let's get into it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, CMOS girlies, we have to tell you all about our favorite new plant-based protein powder by Sprout Living. They're so delicious, so clean, and really much more than just your standard protein powder. Now, what really makes them different is that they avoid a lot of the unnecessary additives that many others on the market use. That means they don't use any gums, thickeners, or natural flavoring, which isn't really natural at all. 
Instead, they only use real whole superfoods and adaptogens, which is great because it makes the blends multifunctional. Their Epic Protein Pro Collagen Blend, for example, also contains ingredients that help boost the body's own natural production of collagen. How cool is that? They have tons of different flavors. There's truly something for everyone to love. Check them out and use the code CMOSGIRLIES for 20% off your order. Our next partner is a product that Emma and I take every single day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to find a greens powder that actually blended together. The taste is hands down the best greens powder I've been able to find. It even has a mild tropical taste and you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, adaptogens, you name it. For me, I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I've always known that taking a greens powder is a great addition to one's wellness routine, but I could just never get past the unpleasant taste. This completely changed once I started taking Athletic Greens. It tastes so good that I actually look forward to drinking it every morning, something I never knew was possible. Plus, Athletic Greens contains dairy-free probiotics, and let me tell you, my digestion has never been better. Another thing that Emma and I love is that it's the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go visit athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash CMOS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, CMOS girlies, let's get into the episode. Again, if you haven't listened to the first Gut Health episode, we definitely recommend you going on down to the depths of the podcast on Spotify or Apple listening to that. But we're going to start off more with just kind of like potential factors that may impact your gut health. And, you know, the biggest one that I'm not really going to go into full detail on, because I'm sure a lot of you guys already know is largely going to be your diet. It's really known that like having the most, you know, diverse gut flora is going to be from having the most diverse diets so eating, you know, as many like fruits and vegetables throughout the week as possible. And again, like consuming fermented foods, et cetera. But there's also so many other things that can impact your gut health that it's like, if you're doing all that, but if you have one thing that's messed up, you could be, you know, potentially putting your gut health at quote unquote harm. And so I think just like realizing that it is a larger picture and there's so many things that do go into play. And I think this is a really helpful way for you to realize that like, you know, if you're not hundred percent perfect, it's totally fine. Cause it's almost impossible. And I think it's just best to come with at the perspective or the approach of just like, I'm trying my best. So the first is going to be stress. And we've done episodes again on like stress, gut brain connection. And this is really how everything is connected to gut health when it comes to stress. So again, with the gun, the gut brain, um, you know, basically communication and relationship, um, this is basically how the gut and the brain are able to speak to each other via the vagus nerve that essentially runs from like the brain down to the gut. And our gut also has its own nervous system called the enteric nervous system. And essentially what happens when we're under stress, whether, you know, that could be from, you know, us maybe getting chased by a cop car, or perhaps you're studying for a really stressful exam, basically our body is going to ramp up cortisol and this um, production of excess cortisol can also induce various changes in our body, which also involves the gut. And so essentially this is going to instruct our gut to direct energy elsewhere as digestion for food is not going to be the primary focus in a stressed environment. You know, if you think back to our ancestors, they were being chased by a bear. 
yeah, they're not going to be focused on like, you know, eating or digesting the berries and squirrels that they were consuming a year, an hour beforehand. Um, and so in a result, blood gets rerouted to different areas and away from our intestine can slow digestion and can cause bloating. I know for me personally, when I'm extremely stressed, I do experience these symptoms. And I'm sure these are very like universal symptoms that everyone does experience. I know like when I was in college, excuse me, before exams, I would just like have terrible digestion for an entire week. And it was mainly because of stress. And early research has also found that prolonged stress can also impact the diversity and population of gut flora in our microbiome. And this is also, you know, again, connected to the fact that like when we are stressed, it can trigger a change in eating habits. I know a lot of people, myself included, my eating habits do kind of change when I am stressed, whether that's seeking out like comfort foods or maybe just like less nutrient rich foods. I know I kind of always gravitate towards like sugary stuff versus like, you know, eating my potatoes and like leafy greens and everything. And that's just like kind of like a way to soothe my soul almost. And lots of these, you know, more processed, less nutrient rich foods are going to contain, you know, less fiber, less vitamins that are most needed to support your gut health. And so again, I know it's like so annoying when you listen to a podcast and it's like, you need to just learn how to manage your stress. But again, managing your stress is like so vital and so key. And so it's really just finding whatever is going to be the most beneficial for you, whether that's just always going on, you know, a few walks throughout the day, meditating, do whatever makes the most sense for you. Next is going to be sleep. I was kind of curious on like the relationship between like sleep and stress and whether that like does have a direct impact on your gut health. When doing research, it felt like very limited and not very like, there's just hasn't been a lot of research done, but essentially our microbiome does create sleep regulating hormones. And so melatonin, which is the main uh, hormone that regulates our sleep is made in the pineal gland, which is in our brain but it is also made in the gut. And so this type of, I guess, quote unquote, like melatonin is known as intestinal melatonin. And, but also in our gut, it also creates other type of hormones, such as dopamine, GABA, and serotonin, which all contribute to our sleep and like our circadian rhythm. And so again, having just, you know, optimal gut health will ensure that you're also, you know, producing and having optimal hormones, which will then lead to better sleep. Another thing too, is that when you are experiencing a lack of sleep, maybe you're a night owl, maybe you just like don't care about getting eight hours of sleep. Um, This is also going to decrease leptin, which is basically the hunger hormone that tells us when we're full. And it's going to increase ghrelin, the hunger hormone, basically like making you feel extremely hungry. And again, I think for a lot of people, myself included, when you do kind of experience this like constant state of hunger. And I also know when like, I don't have the greatest night's you know, rest, I do again, gravitate towards more like sugary foods just because I want that quick, um, energy boost versus, you know, eating like the more whole food, plant-based nutrient, rich nutrient dense foods. So that's like another way how, you know, little things here and there in your personal life can lead to a bigger impact in your overall gut health down the road. If they are, you know, consistent, um, you know, themes that you kind of are always experiencing in your life. I think bouncing off that into the next point, um, everything is about feedback loops in health. And I think what Emma and I try to ground with these episodes, because a lot of the questions we get oftentimes when it comes to Gen Z are really short-term habits about supplements and fixes versus like 
how do I continually get eight hours of sleep for six months? Like that's not fun and cute to talk about, um, especially for Gen Z when it's so much focus on like thick products that you could maybe show your friends, but it's like, who the fuck's going to talk to their friends about like, I got 12 nights of like being in REM sleep. So it's really hard when you want to focus on things like, you know, your sleep and then your hormones are off. And that gets into kind of the next point, talking more about hormones, which is the link between eating disorders and gut microbiome. This is a topic that I have seen kind of referenced or talked about in vague ways on TikTok, not in like an explicit, like scientific way, obviously a lot of bunk about bloating on there, which we'll get into in the next part. But I was always curious about like, if you have an eating disorder, which entirely fucks up your gut, and now you want to take care of your health, what does that process of recovery look like? What can you can control? And then what are you actually doing to disrupt your gut health in the process of having an eating disorder? So the research on this, or I guess the best background of like what happens to your gut when you are in a period of having an eating disorder, the body produces several hormones, like Emma mentioned, that affect appetite, leptin, ghrelin, peptide. Different gut bacteria is going to affect how those hormones like produce if someone feels hungry or full. So if you are having an eating disorder, you're obviously going to have some appetite dysregulation. You could be in the phase of recovery and you could have the extreme hunger. You also could just slow down your metabolism because you're not eating enough because the process of like your metabolism starting down with eating disorder is like you're slowing the, the movement of food through your stomach. And when you're starving, the reason the body does this is because the, the movement of processing food slows down to preserve energy and it increases the nutrient absorption from food that is consumed because you're not getting enough food. So it's like taking a really, really long time to process the food to kind of hold on to that energy because it's like, bitch, we're starved. Um, the body also starts to reallocate energy to the organs that are vital for survival, which I think you guys know. That's why your period shuts off when you get an eating disorder. So the body is not in optimal functioning when it's having an eating disorder. So like your gut is not not going to be at optimal function either. And during your during eating disorder treatment and recovery, your GI system has to readapt and it becomes retrained to back to normal functioning. It's really difficult. And that's why like, if you have an eating disorder, I suggest you get professional help because it's not easy to just like do it willy nilly on your own, not even for the psychological reasons, which is really hard to recover, recover from, but also to make sure your gut and your food and all of that stuff and your nutritional balances are getting recovered. Like it, you can't just guess that like a lot of people get put on various meal plans and I think when I was in eating disorder recovery I was like that's so annoying they're making me eat this many times in the day and it has to have this many food groups but it's like that there's a scientific reason behind that guys uh, that's why they went to fucking medical school to get those degrees right because your body needs smaller portions because it can't your stomach has shrunk down not shrunk down we'll get into that in a little bit but you know what I mean like there's a lot of reasons behind why you would go to recovery and one of them is to actually fix your, fix your gut so a lot of eating disorder clients actually have kind of noted when they're in their period of recovery, and this is something I can attest to, they have dealt in parallel with digestive difficulties in parallel experience with their eating disorder. So in one study of eating disorder clients, 90% of them reported that they had some sort of abdominal pain, gastric distension, satiety, and nausea when they were going through recovery. And this is because your body has not been eating enough. So when you give it food, it's like, what is this shit? What are we, what are we doing now? So that can be a kind of a mind fuck, right? Like you're, you're honoring your body and you're eating more, but at the same time, your stomach hurts like hell. That's the process of refueling. 
it happens because food restriction from binging, purging, et cetera, cause the muscle lining to um, become deconditioned. I'm not going to get too specific on what happens to your esophagus and digestive tract and all of that stuff, but they basically shrink, shrink, which causes the food to empty of your system very slowly. This food can sit in your stomach for hours, um, which causes the bloating and gas and pain. So when you're going through eating disorder recovery, the common physical effects of this are going to be things like gas. It's going to be bloating. It's going to be diarrhea because they're not fun, but it's to be expected in recovery just because you were treating your body like shit before. Um, also, food sensitivities are very common, and this kind of sucks because, one, people recovering from eating disorders are often going to have things like IBS or just food sensitivities because your body has forgotten how to process a lot of foods that you have been avoiding. And that's why when you're in recovery, like I said, you should be doing this with a doctor, with a dietitian, whoever you can get help from, because it's not wise to try to follow some SIBO diet, some special diet, a food elimination plan while you're in recovery, because you're like, oh, I ate bread and my, I got bloated, but I'm in eating disorder recovery. It's like, yeah, because your gut is fucked up because you had an eating disorder. You should not go and be gluten-free just because you think so. So you need to follow a strict plan when it comes to recovery, trust the process of it and seek sufficient medical help with that. Now, when it comes to rebuilding your actual like digestive system, how does that work when your body has been starved for a very long time? So as I said before, about 98% of those who have eating disorders meet the criteria for having gastrointestinal disorders such as IBS. Um, this is due to the behaviors of binging, purging, restricting food intake. Restricting food intake can cause the gut, the gut to suffer almost immediately. So it's not going to be like a prolonged behavior, but like anytime you do this, even if it's in small periods of time, if you're restricting food, your gut will react to it because it wants a sense of normalcy of like, I normally get food at this time. It's normally this amount of food. I know that my next meal is going to be at this time. So when you dysregulate the consumption of food just in your everyday life, your gut's going to flare up as a reaction about like, hey, kind of from a survival perspective, like what are we doing and not eating like our normal meals. And so when the guts are actually starved of nutrition, not just quantity of food, it will start cutting off the proper function of other organs, which why you lose your period, why hair falls out, why nails get brittle, etc. So when it comes to rebuilding your body's digestion system, this is going to be the kind of obvious thing that you guys know about um, fermented foods. Restriction leads to a lot of changes in your body, as I've said, but reduction amount of good bacteria in your gut. So I would prioritize that from a diet perspective. Um, eating smaller meals is something that is kind of across the board when you go on like eating disorder recovery sites. Volume can be really hard for your body to process when your stomach has just been fucked up a lot. Essential fatty acids are going to be very healing for gut lining as well. Those can be found in foods like avocado, olive oil, fatty fish. Eating veggies with a fat source also is going to be essential. I know a lot of people love eating their like raw kale salads and not using a fat source, but your body actually can't process the nutrients and the vitamins in that kale. So you might as well just be throwing it out if you're not eating it in complement with a fat source. Um, and then the last part that I think a lot of CMOS girlies have experienced is something that's called hypermetabolism. So when a person takes steps to recover from eating disorder and get to that place of weight restoration, you're starting, you're actually going to be like eating more calories, right? In response to this, your metabolism is going to speed up. It's like, oh yeah, we're working. Let's get the metabolism where it's back to be because it now has a new source of energy from you eating more food. During the process, there, this period of hypermetabolism is when the metabolism becomes very fast and you will become extremely hungry. Like I know when I first started eating more, my eating disorder, I was like, holy shit, I could eat 
10 pints of ice cream in one sitting. Like this is overwhelming how hungry I am. And for me, I wanted to recover so quickly because I was in like such a place of embarrassment of having an eating disorder that I was like, I want to fix this thing so we don't have to talk about it anymore, which like there's stigma around having eating disorders, not saying that was the best mindset for me, but that like pushed me to recover really quickly. And so that's just a point of like, if you're extremely hungry, honor it your body was starving and now it knows that it's getting the right thing um also another side note that i want to talk about with gut bacteria and shit is like i was reading this one um i was watching this youtube video about veganism and is watching it also about like stomach acid qualities because you remember all the bitches that were like not even vegan but that were like my alkaline ph gut balancing diet um there's like a lot of research about like the stomach acid your stomach acid and like what it can process and it was talking a lot about like people that were high carb low fat vegans and like if you weren't eating enough fat like I said before that fatty acids help your gut lining um if you were depleting your body of fat like you might have fucked up your gut if you were just eating a lot of cruciferous vegetables and you might have a low stomach acid and not be able to process like a lot of food um so that's just another interesting point that I was like oh shit this is very interesting about like eating so many veggies but not fat sources like you think you're doing good but at the same time like nothing good is coming from it and you're just getting bloated which leads into the next point about bloating on tiktok everyone's new favorite little orthorexic thing to talk about and like as a sign one bloating is very uncomfortable it is very legitimate to bloat right your body has organs down there if you're a like woman or if you're someone with uh female genitals like you have things that you're protecting and that's why your body will bloat also like you're eating it has to go somewhere that's why the bloating happens bloating is very uncomfortable too like whenever you have a flare-up it is extremely painful and i've had those before but as we know tiktok is a dumb fucking platform and people have now taken bloating to just be like restrict every food every food is gonna make you bloated like here's how to not be bloated and like there's that one girl on tiktok that made the sweet green adaptation recipe she's like don't put salt and pepper because they're inflammatory bitch where are you been turmeric and black pepper are anti-inflammatory like go talk to anyone who is like worked in eastern wellness what the fuck so yeah that's the the tiktok stuff about bloating yeah it's kind of annoying and also i find i feel like we talked about this in a few episodes um whatever that we recorded but i just everything that's talked about on tiktok in regards to like bloating like anti-bloating diets they're all just like very restrictive which again is just gonna like maybe actually cause even more bloating for you because i know like you were talking about with the eating disorder stuff that yeah it's gonna fuck up your gut health and whether it's like intentional or not the you know restriction of food that you're consuming like the least amount food or like the less diversity you're consuming the worse it's going to be and it's even to say like if you're someone that has had to go gluten-free or something or not Mm -hmm. not gluten-free because that's like more related to celiac disease but let's say you wanted to try to be vegan like emma and i were if you're not eating those foods and you try to eat them again your body's not going to know how to process them so by nature of being restrictive about any food like food groups not just like quantities you are changing your gut flora by nature of doing that right um it can be for healthy reasons. Like if you're cutting out certain things, maybe you're drinking less alcohol or something that could be good for your gut, but also it's just a slippery slope and it focuses on the wrong things. And I just hate that those, these conversations are happening because it discredits the fact that I feel like everyone that's like a legitimate, like OG CMOS girlies, they care about gut health because of like the credibility behind it. Right. Yeah. And TikTok is taking it and making it seem like it's some snake oil bullshit. Like every girl's telling me that I need to fix my gut. 
but I feel like all of us who've kind of known about gut health for a while, it's like, it has so many connections to other impacts about your health, like your brain, longevity, um, your skin is related to your gut, but TikTok just makes it seem like it's some fluffy duffy thing. And another point is that bloating can actually be a sign of under eating. So if we touched on this earlier, but it's like kind of like starvation mode with your eating disorder, where your body doesn't know if it's getting in food in a reaction to that, it is going to protect the vital organs and it's going to make the stomach larger. Um, malnourishment, like the rounded abdomen is not, it's not related to you accumulating fat, like overnight. It's this water retention and fluid buildup to cause the abdomen to expand. Um, and that's why you might be bloated if you're under eating. So it can get very tricky to like self-diagnose yourself. Like, am I bloating because I'm, this food made me intolerant? Did I not eat enough? Did I eat too much? Like, I just think that's why bloating is a really bad health marker to fixate on because it's not going to tell you of what's happening internally. A second note, working out, um, I think we talked about this in one of the episode exercise episodes, but if you're putting a lot of stress on your body and once again, short-term stress, like having short-term cortisol stressors is fine. There is a strong link between our gut health and stress. Like Emma said in the beginning, in addition with physical exercise, like, and your emotions. So like when you experience strong emotions, anxiety, anger, those are going to affect your digestion of food. Like Emma said, but also when you're working out and you're putting a physical stressor on your body your body is going to have that water retention, like I mentioned. And that's why like after a high intensity workout, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, why am I so bloated? Like that doesn't make any sense. And it's because like, you're probably dehydrated and your body has water retention and fluid buildup. So just don't fixate on bloating. That's kind of the overall thing about bloating. Like it does, there's no reason to fixate on it. It happens to everyone. And if you think it's because of one thing, it literally could be of a reason of like 75 other things for sure and I know for me like especially it's always dinner where I feel as if I experience most bloating and I always you know compare like okay well how am I eating differently between like dinner and breakfast and like lunch and I always notice for like breakfast and lunch I'm eating a lot slower and my meals are probably a little bit smaller volume wise and then dinner is when I'm like okay let's get all the veggies in and I always feel like I'm in a more of a manic state for whatever reason when it comes to dinner I think because it's like the end of the day you know, stress from work, life, et cetera. And so if you notice that like, oh, I'm only bloating from dinner, or maybe I'm only bloating from breakfast, maybe also look at your environment. Like, are you sitting down, taking your time eating, or are you being like rushed? Are you eating in the car? And is that where you're experiencing a lot of discomfort? And so making like little tweaks in your overall environment versus maybe like the actual food. So like Kate said, there's so many different factors that can impact your overhaul, like yeah, gut and how your body digests food. Um, we're going to get into kind of like the role of prebiotics and postbiotics. I feel like we've talked a lot previous episodes. There's so much research on the internet about like probiotics, which for people don't know is basically like the actual gut bacteria that resides in your gut. Your body produces it. You can get it through a probiotic or kind of like through fermented food sort of, but I think prebiotics and postbiotics are a very interesting area to tap into. And also just because I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to pop this probiotic pill and hope for the best. And it's like, well, there's other things you have to do to also support your gut health. And also for people who maybe can't afford to purchase a probiotic at the current moment, because they know that they can be extremely expensive, difficult to find. Um, there's other ways that you can still support your gut health through, again, prebiotics, um, which I'm going to get into. So again, like I said, simply taking a probiotic is not going to be enough to guarantee a healthy gut. You need you know, a balance of good bacteria. And you need to also essentially feed this good bacteria with proper nutrients, which are going to be prebiotics to basically do their overall job. And so ensuring that we get enough prebiotics in our diet 
can lead to improving the variety and amount of bacteria in our gut. So really think about prebiotics almost as like a fertilizer. And so without prebiotics, the probiotic gut bacteria will not function or work properly. And prebiotics also have so many other health benefits. And I know Kate's going to get into prebiotics kind of in the next section um, and more specifically in like fiber, but uh, prebiotics really are key to also regulating blood sugar. But kind of then thinking about like, okay, what's like actually the science or like how does like me eating banana actually like do good for my gut? Um, so when we ingest prebiotics, which are certain types of fiber found in certain foods, our gut is going to break them down and convert them into short chain fatty acids, fatty acids known as like butyrate and acetate. And essentially like the benefits that come from these short chain fatty acids are going to include things such as improving the gut barrier and like regulating blood sugar and absorbing minerals and also metabolism. And so if you are not consuming like a high fiber foods in your daily diet, your body may be lacking these key short chain fatty acids. And another type of like prebiotic that I find like very interesting is also resistant starch. And I think one thing to note when it comes to resistant starch is that these are going to have prebiotic effects, but not all prebiotics are going to contain resistant starch. And so what are resistant starches? These are types of starch molecules largely found in carbohydrates that are going to resist digestion when you consume them. And so this type of starch is not going to be absorbed by your body, you know, key the phrase resistant to absorption, resistant starch, and it ends up getting eaten by your gut. And so many of the ways that you can get this resistant starch is actually very easy. And I think it's actually like a very affordable way to actually get in these type of prebiotic, um, this, these type of prebiotics into your daily diet. And it's simply just by cooling your starches other that's potato and rice. So I know Kate and I talk a lot about, you know, baking your potato and then putting it in the fridge or the freezer potato. I feel like we talked about a lot last summer and spring, but doing this can actually increase the resistance starch by up to two to 3%. So not only are you going to get all these prebiotic like health benefits, but also it's going to just overall like slow the absorption and the way your body breaks down these carbohydrates. So you may actually experience a lower um, blood sugar spike if you are consuming cooled rice and potatoes. But other foods that also contain prebiotics are going to be things such as leeks, onions, asparagus, bananas. Again, if you go onto Google, you can find a whole list. And I think this is like a really fun, easy way to kind of like find new foods to add into your diet. Um, Another thing that I found interesting that I kind of was learning about from podcasts that I was listening to was how polyphenols are actually um, a prebiotic. And so for people who don't know, polyphenols are specific like micronutrients and essentially they're produced by plants in response to protecting themselves from harm. And so, you know, let's say it's a type of olive, you know, they live in a very harsh environment, very close to the sun, basically a way to protect themselves is producing these things called polyphenols. And yeah, so it's a way to protect themselves from sun, other environments and polyphenols for the longest time have actually largely been touted for their antioxidant properties, but the main benefits that actually come from polyphenols are going to be through, um, the source, basically through them kind of acting as a prebiotic. And so essentially when you consume, you know, olive oil or maybe dark chocolate, the polyphenols that reside in these foods, your body is actually going to, it's going to be broken down and processed through our gut. And basically our gut bacteria is going to take these polyphenols and essentially like feed off of it and then turn them into postbiotics, which I'm going to get to next. And so really polyphenols, like their benefits really come from like our gut bacteria consuming them versus like us just like consuming like the actual food on its own, which I know sounds like kind of confusing, but polyphenols just like on their own are really poorly absorbed. It's only about like 10% is actually absorbed by our body, but it's more this process of our gut bacteria breaking them down. So if you're kind of like, mm, I want to get polyphenols into my diet, olive oil, dark chocolate, red wine, purple sweet potatoes, kind of the best foods in the world, all contain high levels of polyphenols. And they have a whole load of other 
health benefits. Um, I know Dr. Stephen Gundry, if you want to listen to his podcast, I've listened to a few of his audiobooks. They put me to sleep, but he talks a lot about polyphenols. So I feel like that could be a good resource if you're like curious about them. Um, the last topic that I kind of want to get into is postbiotics because this is like, again, kind of level three geeky nerdy stuff. But essentially postbiotics is like the last process when it comes to like probiotics, probiotics, then you have postbiotics. And so essentially, you know, when our gut, um, our gut and our body produces probiotics through the life bacteria or like the yeast that is present in our body or through supplements and this gut bacteria again, needs food to consume. And so it gets this through prebiotics. And then basically the end result or the waste that is produced in this process are known as postbiotics. And so these are going to be, yeah, the components that result from probiotic activity, such as like the fermentation of the, yeah, these fibers in your gut. And so this leftover waste is actually what is maybe considered to actually be exerting and like causing a lot of the benefits that we get from prebiotics and probiotics in our diet. And these postbiotics are going to include things such as the short chain fatty acids, enzymes, lipopolysaccharides, et cetera. And so each of these types can help with improving digestive issues. So like the production of necessary short chain fatty acids. Um, can help reduce like inflammatory responses to particular foods. So maybe if you like, not saying that if you have Crohn's disease, maybe you get like a weird um, inflammatory response to when you do consume gluten or a certain type of food, getting additional short chain fatty acids through, you know, this process could perhaps potentially help reduce that response. And since postbiotics are created from the consumption of pre and probiotics, the best way to increase postbiotic production is simply going to be through consuming the types of foods that I listed, um, at the beginning and shout it out. So yeah, your bananas, your Jerusalem artichokes, leeks, onions, and they're, these are like pretty easy foods to find at your local grocery store. You don't have to go to like some fucking Whole Foods or Trader Joe's to find an onion, I don't think. Nah, um, nah. And also I think two other supplements that I feel like are talked about in relation to gut health is just going to be fiber generally, which I'm going to talk about now, but also digestive enzymes. I've explored that from the period of when I went to uh, one of our favorite health stores after we both decided we weren't going to be vegan. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to eat meat, but I've never eaten meat in like four years. And I talked to the employee of the store who's like worked in the health industry for like 40 years. He's like a fucking supplement freak. And he's like, you might want to try digestive enzymes because that could help like your body process meat since you've never processed it. And that's the only time I've ever used digestive enzymes in like a short-term way and so if you are experienced like I don't know I'm not going to tell you to go buy digestive enzymes if you have any sort of like issue because they they operate differently a lot differently than probiotics which are more of like use these forever and digestive enzymes are just like a moment of some sort of digestive issues but just another thing I thought I'd reference because I feel like I see some CMS girlies talking about them but fiber um not to be confused with probiotics uh fiber is not a probiotics but it does have a role in gut health and I think it also can get confusing because when it comes to health and wellness marketing I feel like brands just throw whatever they want on there they're like it's high in fiber and it has probiotics I'm like those are different things Mm -hmm. so the difference between fiber and probiotics soluble fiber is a gel-like substance that it travels through your digestive system it's going to pick up things like cholesterol dietary fats sugar and it's going to expedite them throughout your body, out of your body. So just like picture that. Probiotics are going to be the live, quote, good microorganisms that reside throughout your body, but they're mostly found in your gut. 
So fiber is something that goes through you. Gut bacteria is not like going in that. Does that make sense? Okay, I didn't want to get too graphic with that. Um, all, pro all prebiotics that Emma was just speaking about are actually classified as fiber, right? Because they're this indigestible part of plants, but not all fibers are going to be prebiotics. And you might find that to be confusing. You say, Kate, I go on my Olipop or I go on my something and it says insoluble fiber or it says prebiotics. Prebiotics are not going to be digestible. Um, they're ingestible by human enzymes, we'll say. And they function as food because they deal with probiotics. As Emma was just saying, they help colonize the gut so that you can have your probiotics in your gut. But dietary fiber is in two different categories, one being soluble fiber. This is going to be the, the, the type of fiber that actually can be fermented by your gut. But insoluble fiber is the thing that goes in and out that acts as roughage. <laughs> roughage i hate that word i type i remember typing this when i did research and i was like it's a, it's a silly looking word yeah it's a goofy word um but i think you guys get enough of the visual experience of what's happening in your gut so although prebiotics fit the chemical definition of a soluble fiber the not all fibers are going to be prebiotics because they can't be metabolized by the gut bacteria does that make sense so like prebiotic content claims on products let's say you're looking and you see this powder and it says it's like a prebiotic powder and you're like that might be great to have to drink because it could help my gut bacteria red flag because prebiotic content claims are going to be unregulated um i mean everything in the supplement industry is not regulated but manufacturers are pretty much like free to claim stuff as being like a prebiotic benefit because there's no existing scientific benefit on what the definition of a prebiotic is because i said before like some people consider that like all prebiotics are, or all prebiotics are fiber, fiber, is it all prebiotics, right? Vice versa. So if you ever see a product that like claims a lot about prebiotics on there, kind of just question the integrity of that um, because it's once again, kind of unregulated, crazy land out there. Yes. And I think the last section that I wanted to chat about, this kind of taps into you also the whole TikTok rant that we had is that I feel like there's a lot of chat about like gut resets or like the gut reset protocol or the gut reset diet. You know, I like had a crazy weekend down in Mexico with my girlies and I drank a lot and I wasn't eating vegetables. Like, what should I do to restore my gut? Um, okay, so let's chat about that. Like, is that real? Is that false? Like, do you need to do some like crazy, wild, goofy stuff? Probably not. You know, the general purpose of a gut reset is to quote unquote, like restore balance in the gut microbiome and promote the removal of waste from the GI tract. I'm going to say this, be wary of people who are using this as a cover up for a restrictive quick fix diet. Again, always speak to your doctor about a certain protocol. Like, yes, if you had surgery and had a lot of antibiotics or again, going through eating disorder recovery, yeah, you're going to probably have to restore your gut microbiome because you're probably gonna have like no gut bacteria. Your body is not capable to really like process food. I know like a lot of um, medications can also just like naturally slow down your um, digestion. My mom had that issue when she had a surgery a few weeks ago and she was like, I like my body just like is not processing food or anything. Um, and I think also too, is that like a restrictive diet is going to reduce diversity within your microbiome. So cutting out a particular food group can create actually more damage to you and actually like destroy your gut health even more. And, you know, you can look up, you know, how do I restore my gut? And there's so many different protocols you can see on the internet that, you know, they range from like intermittent fasting to drinking water to viewing XYZ bullshit. But like the main principles are really going to be through repopulating bacteria. And this is going to be again, through a probiotic and prebiotics and then removing what was quote unquote, like damaging your gut. So whether that was like stress medication, if you're able to get off of medication, you know, maybe experience with that, maybe it's a food intolerance, like really look at like, basically what is the main thing that was basically destroying your gut health. 
I'm going to say this, you going on vacation, having fun with your girlies did not probably really destroy your gut health. You probably just like feel bloated. And it's probably because you had fun and you were maybe drinking more alcohol than usual and like eating more fun foods than usual. And maybe like moving less, like there's so many other factors, but like, that's not a reason why you should like do a full gut restore thing. Um, and also, you know, you might want to consider supporting, you know, the digestive system through like enzymes, like he was talking about with digestive enzymes or like certain key nutrients. Again, like definitely speak to a professional when it comes to doing some sort of like weird protocol, not weird protocol, but like a very serious protocol. And, you know, if you're going to be doing it like silly willy nilly, you probably don't need to be doing it in the first place. But I think there's interesting, like talk about like reset between meals. Like, do I need to like fast to give my gut a break and everything? And so like, yes, the process of breaking down food in our gut is like a lot of work for our body. And so, you know, this whole idea of like kind of giving it a break can allow it to repair and improve function of the gut barrier, which for people who don't know, like the gut barrier is essentially like a layer of cells in our gut and digestive tract that yeah, form the lining of our gut and basically let nutrients pass through. And I think one thing to note, you know, is that like just note that fasting can wreak havoc on your body, especially if it gets extremely extreme. If you're doing some sort of like 16, 18 hour fast, like a, again, a caloric restriction, is going to cut off food from your gut microbiome, which can lead to, you know, elevated levels of cortisol. Cause basically you're like in a state of like basically being famished, your body is going to freak out. So it's like, Oh my God, we don't have food. And again, when I was talking about the relationship between stress and your gut health, you may not be able to digest food as well. But there have been research actually done on individuals um, after Ramadan and found that there were actually increased levels of certain good gut bacteria in their gut. But I think one thing to also notice is that like in the study that they did, there were varying effects depending on the age and ethnic group. So fasting, again, may not be applicable to everyone. I know for like women, especially it can be extremely damaging and like a lot of men can get away with intermittent fasting. I think it's really frustrating when you listen to podcasts. And it's all these like male doctors telling you just, just intermittent fast. And I'm happy that there are more people speaking up to me like, no, like intermittent fasting is actually maybe not going to help you. And I think another thing too, is that a lot of this research on like fasting and gut health has been done largely on mice and hasn't been fully, um, looked at when it comes to like humans, but like the research on mice have found that there have been like increased microbial diversity, um, production of short chain fatty acids. Um, when, you know, they had mice fast for X amount of, you know, hours. And I think again, too, is that like what we eat is going to have a way bigger impact on our gut health versus what we eat versus when we eat. So, you know, if you're fasting for 16 hours and then eating little snow fiber, because all you're eating is fucking like egg whites and, you know, fiber one bars or something like, yeah, your gut microbiome is probably going to be crap versus someone who's like eating regularly throughout the day. And is like, you know, filling their plates up with lots of high fiber foods. And there's just like more safer and more practical ways to improve gut health. But I think like the main thing is that like so many people our age just like seek out quick fixes because they don't want to commit to like actual lifestyle changes when it comes to personal health. And yes, I get it that like, you know, there's a lot of barriers that come to like fully changing your lifestyle habits. Like maybe you work a night shift. So like your circadian rhythm is always going to be off, or maybe you just like don't have access or don't live super close to, you know, a local health store, or maybe you only have access to like this one grocery store where everything's wrapped in plastic and maybe it's not organic. Perhaps you are a college student who, you know, is in debt. You're really trying not to spend that much money. So you're only going to be eating at the dining hall. Like I get that. But for a lot of people who do have access to certain things, you know, many of us, just many of you guys, I'm going to see you guys. I'm not including myself in here, but sometimes, you know, 
you just want quick fixes. You want a bandaid that you can like basically slap on so you can keep on with your current life. And I get it. Cause like caring about your health at our age is not sexy, but these like short-term benefits you experience could be how you feel 24 seven. If you just like commit to it. And I think a lot of people just like need to get to the point where it's like, no, I'm going to like commit to myself and to my health. And like, actually like, I want to feel good. Not just like for this, like one day on the weekend. Um, so just like some food for thought that, yeah, you don't need to do a gut reset and maybe, you know, just eating vegetables throughout the week, maybe taking a probiotic here and there or eating some sauerkraut and like getting ample sleep, you know, maybe that'll solve your issues. Yeah. Um, totally agree. I think that, you know, join the CMOS girlies. That's where we have these long, long lifestyle habits that you guys can get into. Um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. I think if you want to fix your gut, just like get off TikTok and get onto our meme page Yeah. and we will chat with you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs>